Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp. And this week we had an unfortunate situation and some technical difficulties, and we're going to have to re record the episode that we had recorded for this week. But we wanted to bring you something. So we're going to be playing a sermon from Todd Bordeaux. Um, You know Todd, he's been on this podcast before. This is an excellent sermon, and if you would like to check out the rest of the series, I have linked that in the episode notes. And I do apologize that we don't have an episode this week. Sometimes these things happen. We have a lot of really exciting things planned. I think we have like six episodes planned. And just to remind you, if you would like to support what we're doing, you can do that in a few different ways. You can support us monthly through Patreon or a one-time donation through PayPal. You can also check out the journals that we have, the sermon notes, notebooks, and the scripture and catechism memory books. All of this is linked in the episode notes. And another way that you can support us is by sharing this episode or any of our episodes. And we do appreciate you joining us, and here's the sermon. We are in Mark chapter 4 this morning. We'll start in verse 26 if you want to go down with your eyes, or simply, if it's easier, to listen to the word as I read it. This is the word of God, and in his providence, the word he wanted you to hear this morning. So please give it your careful attention. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them, so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. This morning we look at the final two parables that Mark gives us. Mark only chose three of all the parables. There are more than 30 in simply Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Mark, who is always brief, chose three that would well summarize the kingdom of God. In verse 34 we see in this stage of Christ's ministry, He would only speak publicly in sayings, parables, riddles, not clearly because the people weren't interested in understanding him. And yet whenever he got with those who really wanted to know the true disciples, he would explain the meaning of the parables, of the mysterious sayings. Now these two parables form a triad with the parable of the sower. And these two with the first one illustrate how the kingdom begins, how it grows, which is the middle one, and then how it ends, which is the third one. Now, the expectations, if you asked, again, a Jew back then, 
how would the kingdom that the Messiah came to bring, how would it come to the earth? Well, what do kings do? Well, kings win battles. They fight wars. They defeat enemies. They conquer. And then when they're done, they live in palaces. And so if you would ask, what will the Messiah do? It's exactly what he'll do. He'll defeat our enemies. He'll build a palace in Jerusalem. And he'll rule the world from Israel. And so the kingdom of God, if you would ask them, what's a good illustration of the kingdom of God? They would say something like, the kingdom of God is like David and Goliath. But Goliath is even greater than one man. He's the whole Roman army. Or he's the whole Gentile world. Or he's our sickness. He will defeat all our enemies and he will rule. Like David ruled in a palace. But when Jesus speaks of the kingdom, he doesn't use military imagery. He uses imagery like farming and gardening. And so Jesus says, my kingdom will not come like a warrior. It'll come like farming or gardening. Now you can imagine the thought at the time, farming and gardening. <laughs> we don't usually associate a king's work with farming and gardening. That's sort of anticlimactic of what they expected the Messiah to do. Farming and gardening is very slow. It's unassuming. It's not what they, the kind of dramatic outward victory that they thought the Messiah would bring. But those who have ears to hear must hear, including you, what Jesus is saying with these two parables about his kingdom. The first parable, he said, the kingdom I'm bringing is like a farmer who scatters seed, but then one of them, for some reason, sprouts. Most of them do not sprout, but one takes root. And already this is surprising. We wouldn't expect that what Christ does would only affect a few. And yet that's how he explains it. And notice the farmer doesn't do anything himself. He just throws out the seed. The next thing you know, one of them sprouts. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't understand why. Well, most of them did not take root. And if you've ever gardened, you've had this experience. You don't know why certain plants grow or they don't grow. Some of you, if one grows, it's a miracle. And others, you expect most of them. But it never quite turns out the way you thought because you're not in control of it. So the farmer doesn't know why when he spreads seed, why this particular one happened to sprout, but it does all on its own. And notice how if the parable is written, even the growth is somewhat unassuming. You see a, a blade here and there. And then eventually there's, there's one bud. And that's the way of the kingdom. Nothing dramatic, a little bit at the, of the, at the time, at a time. Now we've already seen that the seed in the parables is the word of God, specifically the gospel of God. So how will the kingdom come, Jesus is saying? Many people will hear the gospel message, but every once in a while it'll sprout. And that person will believe and will bear fruit. Notice it's not the person bringing the gospel that does anything. He just brings the message. But the gospel itself is what bears fruit. The gospel has the power 
And that person that it buds in, that person is born again. He has a new life, a new heart, forgiveness of sins, and he begins to grow in the faith. He begins to grow as a member of Christ's kingdom. The power is coming from the king in heaven, who through the spirit is growing that person. And so that's why it's called a mystery. It will not come the way we expect, and we won't even notice it when it happens, for the most part, at least from the eyes of the world. And so the world won't even notice the kingdom is growing while they exist. The fruit will barely be seen, and it'll be one person at a time, but that is how the kingdom will come. Now what's true of individuals will also be true of the church. Jesus dies on a cross. There's very few who follow him. It's mostly unnoticed by the world. And at Pentecost, there's now 120 believers. That 120 throughout the book of Acts grows. And eventually, by the end of the New Testament, we have churches all around the world, the civilized world, at least back then. And now it was going, the missionaries would go even further. That's the way of the kingdom. Now, those churches are still small. It's not like it's so noticed that the world necessarily is afraid. They're still a minority. But right as the world continues as it is, God has planted his kingdom in the world. Now, again, that's very different from what the Jews were expecting. They expected the Messiah to defeat all the other kingdoms. There would no longer be a Roman kingdom or a Persian kingdom, or anything else. Christ would rule the entire world with one kingdom. But Jesus says that's not how it's going to happen in this age. In the midst of the world, continuing as it is, and in all the nations, Christ will plant his kingdom one person at a time, and they will grow. Now, both the first and second parable here in our passage and with the second coming of Christ. The first one, as it mentions, this sickle. And so at the end of the age, the farmer will come, and the sickle is often a picture in Revelation of the return of Christ. Often it's used in judgment sense, but now it's used in gathering the true crop, in Christ gathering his people. Even though the people will grow, and the world will go on as it is, and they won't be impressed by Christ's kingdom, when it's the ripe time, Christ will come and all his crops will be ready for the full harvest. And so the summary of this first parable is that unlike what they were expecting, the kingdom of God would come somewhat mysteriously, very unassuming, one person at a time, that the gospel message will grow out, go out, and certain people, and it's a mystery why some and not others, we don't know, but God will save them and grow them and build his kingdom. And so there will be a spiritual kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. In God's kingdom, they will enjoy forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit's presence, and God will lead them and strengthen them. And there's no force on earth that can stop this kingdom. Once you belong to Christ, all the nations of the world, all the temptations, all the persecution cannot stop these plants 
from growing. That is a promise of God. That is the power of the gospel. Now, when most Jews understood what Christ was saying, when it finally hit them, they left Christ. If Christ wasn't going to bring in a full, ultimate, physical kingdom now, they simply weren't interested. They weren't expecting a spiritual kingdom for a time. They weren't expecting a kingdom without a headquarters, be in Jerusalem, without a CEO or a general on this, in this world. And they were not expecting a kingdom that would still be unimpressive to the world. And so they rejected this kingdom like many do today. Now Satan is the one that would be fully aware of the kingdom. When a person became a Christian, he was angry. And he would spend his time trying to defeat that Christian. So he sees it, but the people of the world do not recognize it when it's present. And so the first parable focuses mostly on the growth and the presence of the kingdom in the midst of a fallen world. The second parable focuses on its surprising conclusion. It may seem weak and unassuming, but it's amazing how it will end up. And for that, Christ uses the example of a mustard seed. He calls the mustard seed the smallest seed. Now, some have objected, because, objected to this because this is not scientifically accurate. Now, if you ask Jesus why he wasn't scientifically accurate, he would probably answer with something like, it's just a story. Parables are not meant to be scientifically accurate. He's not teaching science. He's using the Proverbs of the day. And in the day, the mustard seed proverbially was considered the smallest seed. And so Jesus says, my kingdom is like if a gardener planted the smallest seed, a mustard seed. And that gardener walked away and he didn't come back to his garden for a while. And then one day he returned and what he saw was a huge mustard tree or bush. In, the, in this part of the world, a mustard tree could get around 10 feet. It could be as big as a shed or a tent, the real big ones. And birds could come in and be in its branches and have a place. So this points to the return of Christ. My kingdom will seem small. People will not notice. But people will be converted throughout the age. But when Jesus comes back, it'll now be a prominent kingdom. And all the other kingdoms will disappear. Now this parable you actually experience every day in your life. You maybe not think about it that way. What does the Bible say about you if you're a Christian? Well, you're a child of the king. You have God himself living inside you. You have spiritual power. You have the power of heaven in you. But you're going to wake up tomorrow and start your day like every day, whatever the normal drudgery of your week is like, you'll do. And all the people around you will not be recognizing the glory that is you as a child of the king. You will not go to work and people will back away and say, here's a child of the king, let him walk through. You will not impress them that way. Now, you may be a boss somewhere and you're making everyone do that, but don't do that um, if you do. The point is that even though you're part of God's kingdom, 
Nobody cares. Nobody's that impressed. Nobody's noticing. They do not see it. You just face the same problems as all unbelievers face. You live the same type of life outwardly, the same existence. No one treats you that special because you're in Christ's kingdom. But one day Christ will return. And then this is what is said of you in Revelation 21. This is God's people glorified. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. That's you in the return of Christ. You will shine with the glory of God. If unbelievers could be there, they would look at you and say, that's you? That's the person who worked for me all those years? Yeah, I knew you were a little religious, but I never gave it much attention. That's that awkward girl I knew in school? Shining with the glory of God? That's that little church I drove by every day? I never really thought about going in because I didn't care about those things? That's you now? Shining with God's glory, the heavenly city? Jesus said, this is what my kingdom is like. It's like a mustard seed at the beginning, but it's a glorious tree when it ends. And there will be no other kingdoms at that point. Now, why would this be so helpful, these parables, to the first Christians who received the book of Mark? Well, as I mentioned in the introduction to the book, Mark was writing to Roman Christians who were suffering persecution from the Roman government. They were living under threats, and I know American Christians love talking about losing their rights and tyranny and such. We have no idea, and we need to be careful not to minimize what people who are being persecuted actually went through. They were living in great fear, and many of them were being dragged off to prison for simply saying they are Christians. And so they would ask the question, what's happening to the kingdom? It doesn't look like much of a kingdom right now. It had begun with great excitement. I mean, Pentecost, the book of Acts, and yet now we are being pushed underground. Now it seems like all the forces in the world are opposed to us. These parables would remind them, this is the way of the kingdom in this age. The world will not be impressed or in fear of you, and they will. you will have persecution. The parables show you that everything I explained about the kingdom is what is happening. You do not need to worry. God will preserve you from heaven. You are a crop in his garden, in his field. He will grow you and protect you. And when it's all done, you will be in that glorious place. All the kingdoms of this world will be defeated. That is your future, so hang on. Now, I must stop here and give you a warning about a growing theology in our camp and other camps, and that is dominion theology. Dominion theology states that the proof of faithful Christians and a faithful church is how much influence we have over the world.
And so the more influence you have as a Christian, the more prominence we have, the more the world listens to us, that's proof of the success of our own Christian lives and our faithfulness. And that is a lie from the pit. I'm being charitable, but... It's exactly the opposite of what Jesus teaches in the New Testament and in the parables. This is simply unbelief. Jesus expected his kingdom to be mostly unnoticed and unappreciated in the world. He told us that persecution will come. You, you should ask the question, why right now in China, for example, to profess Christ will literally cost your life in some places. Why is anyone doing it? Why are they even professing Christ if they know what is coming? That is the glory of the kingdom if you're able to see it. Because the gospel produces something in a person. Gives them a new heart, a new life. Love for God. Willing to die for God. That is the power of the kingdom. And we know there are millions, maybe hundreds of millions, right now in China, in the midst of a nation who is against them, a government against them. That's the kingdom of God. The country doesn't care. The government doesn't care what Christians are saying. You are to see the kingdom in its, all its glory in this life. So the growth may seem small, and it may seem unimpressive to the world, but that is what Christ is saying about, these king, about his kingdom. So in other countries right now, Christians are meeting with actually secret handshakes, secret ways to identify one another so they don't get taken away. You, with eyes of faith, are to say, isn't God's mysterious kingdom glorious? That right now they're doing that in the midst of this fallen dangerous world. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom that will be glorified when Christ returns and shine like a jewel. And finally, before we close, we also learn to trust in the gospel, the simple gospel message. That's the powerful seed of the kingdom here. As a pastor, it's not my job to make the word of God relevant to you or to make it exciting or to make it come alive. It's already exciting, alive, and relevant. My job is simply to clear away the debris so you can understand it as clearly as possible. The pastor's job is to sow the seed of the simple gospel message in its glory and let the seed do its work in God's way. And it's the same when you share the gospel. When you have an opportunity to share the gospel, you don't know what's going to happen. If they become Christians, it won't be because of you. It's that gospel seed. And every once in a while, it will sprout. I'm reminded of a man in our congregation back when I was a youth pastor in the Baptist world. He had a ministry to Jehovah Witness. He was an elder for many, many years in Jehovah Witness. And I asked him, how did you become a Christian? It's very difficult to come out of that so high up. And he said, it was those times I would come to the door and try to share what we share, and a Christian would share a verse and show me a verse and challenge me with a verse. And at the time, I would always have an answer because we had 
canned answers. But I would lay in bed at night, and that verse, what they said, showing Jesus is God, showing salvation is by faith, that would haunt me that I really didn't have a good answer. And years later, from that witness, he became a Christian. Now, those Christians aren't even aware that they had any part in this man's salvation and future ministry. But it was the seed. He doesn't even remember these Christians' names. or It was just sharing a verse. The seed was sown, and it produced a wonderful crop. And so the seed is like the wind. It scatters, and God builds his kingdom. And so we look at two parables this morning. And why this matters is Jesus was about to go to the cross, and most people in Israel would say, well, he can't be the king. Kings don't allow themselves to be arrested. Kings don't allow themselves to be crucified. But the true believers would say, look at my king. Look at him up there taking my sins upon himself. The Holy One rescuing me from sin and judgment. Look at the glory of my king and the kingdom I am in. If you've trusted in Christ for salvation, tomorrow will be full of troubles and challenges, and people will be unimpressed with you as ever. But that's how the kingdom goes in this age. And we look ahead then as the time for harvest, when all that is hidden will be revealed in its glory. This is the way of the kingdom. Believe it and give thanks for it. Amen. Let's pray.